Prosecutors say Officer Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, including 2 minutes and 53 seconds after Floyd had become unresponsive. This afternoon, the county prosecutor explained why the charges came today. We have the officer's body-worn camera. We have statements from some witnesses. We have a preliminary report from the medical examiner. According to the charging documents, police were responding to a call of Floyd using a counterfeit $20 bill. During the attempt to put a handcuffed Floyd into the police car, the defendant pulled Mr. Floyd out of the passenger side of the squad car, held him with a knee to the neck. At one point, another officer asked, should we roll him on his side? Chauvin replied, no, staying put where we got him. Prosecutors contend Mr. Floyd being restrained by the police, his underlying health conditions, and any potential intoxicants in his system likely contributed to his death. But the prosecutor says the preliminary autopsy does not support that Floyd died from strangulation. Benjamin Crump represents Floyd's family. They were very clear in their position that it should be first-degree murder charges and the other officers should be arrested too. The 3rd Precinct Police Building, where the four fired officers worked, was at the center of the anger. I can't breathe! I can't After police abandoned the building, Protesters set it on fire. The city warned people to retreat in case it exploded. At dawn, National Guardsmen rolled in to clear the crowd. Leave this area immediately. State police are here. You can see them behind me holding down this plot. But behind them are the firefighters doing the hard work right now. They are dousing the flames, trying to save the rest of these businesses from going up in smoke. The situation was so tense, a CNN reporter was arrested while reporting live. He was released shortly after. Thursday, we went to KB Bala's restaurant. Looters had broken windows and even tried to steal his safe while he was there. Today, he watched as his life savings and dreams literally went up in smoke. The time and energy I put into it, that's where it hurts a lot. That, that was the dream. Oh, definitely. And now? <laughs> it's up in flames. Minnesota's governor says the state has seen 48 hours of anarchy. He hopes some of that pain will ease today. What the world has witnessed since the killing of George Floyd on Monday has been a visceral pain, a community trying to understand who we are and where we go from here.
America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, a nation divided on racial lines. Racial separate, excuse me, racial issues separating a nation right down the middle. We're going to deal with what we've seen over the last year, and that includes the, the horrific death of George Floyd, the death of Breonna Taylor, and many more. This is part one of a series of shows addressing the racial issue in America. Ladies and gentlemen, hang on to your seat. This is AJC Radio, and we kick off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Hopper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zerpolo, Samson Riddle, Dennis Merritt, and Clint Stewart and Cliff Stewart. All tonight, along with the AJC radio team, we are coming live from Colorado Springs. Colorado is AJC radio kicks off again for another season. And we're very glad to have all of you with us as we get ready to really go down a road and relive some things uh, regarding the racial divide in this nation. Uh, what we have seen in the last year is unprecedented, and I'll tell you right now, it continues to be an ongoing problem uh, as we are not only seeing racism uh, in this country and the unequal justice, if you will, of what's going on when it comes to African Americans and people of color in this country. It may not be a conversation that people are overexcited about having, but we have to have it as we have seen tragedy after tragedy with the death of African-Americans and people of color in this country. And it continues to spiral out of control. Samson, as we get ready to go into this show tonight, uh, give your thoughts of the importance 
given all that we've seen uh, in 2020 and what we continue to uh, beginning to see uh, as we go on, uh, go in into 2021. How important is this message uh, needing to get that out? Well, I mean, it's absolutely critical that we get this message out to not only you know the American public, but to get them to really see what's going on here. Like we have so many people, so many groups out there propagating hate against you know our brothers and sisters of color and for no good reason other than the color of their skin i mean when you look back over the years 85 people of color in less than you know 75 months i'm talking about from 2014 to january of this year you know 85 people have been killed by police officers by security guards you know and the fact of the matter is that it's, it's only based on that there is no other logical reason given the scenarios of each situation each person's situation that they would be treated the way they would be treated other than the color of their skin. People need to wake up and realize that different groups, whether they be you know, government, party-affiliated, or whomever, they are using this to divide our nation. And if we don't do something about it, if we don't speak out and rally against injustice, then nobody's going to do anything about it. No, oh, absolutely right. And David uh, Banks, uh, chime in on this. Uh, what are your thoughts? Because we have talked over and over again about the race racism in this country that people just want to shy away from. Well, no, I'm not actually racist. Uh, but we can kill protesters uh, who are protesting in this country on the streets of America about issues. And people are being violently treated, peaceful protesters of color, violently uh, uh, treated, not only violently done that way, but also people have died peaceably protesting. Give us, give us your thoughts on that, David. Well, I think uh, part of the problem in this country is, as we spoke about, the divisiveness. A lot of this stuff is, a lot of this stuff is uh, promoted in many cases by the media. The mainstream media seems to promote racism just a little bit too much. Even, even the term uh, uh, systemic racism is not well defined and. Uh, the media makes, uh, especially uh, certain media outlets, make they make a point of just everything is racist. There, there are the racist issues, and if, if but the media tries to paint in many cases the entire white race of people as racist. Well, that that further divides and it, it inflames tension. We need to address the issues one by one and address them fairly and equitably. And then a lot of this stuff would actually die down. The, the, the problem with, with the entire issue is, is that when a police officer kills somebody, he has to be held accountable. Uh, you can't always have an excuse for killing somebody and say, well, we have an excuse. And even though the, the reasons don't necessarily uh, aren't really justified, but they always come up with an excuse on why. You take a life, you need to be dealt with aggressively for taking a life just like any other citizen uh, unless your life is really in danger and those sorts of abuses of discretion that these cops are taking uh those are the types of things but what happened in this country thus far is because many of these issues aren't addressed properly on an individual level uh people see the system as problematic uh and and then everybody starts to paint the entire system that way. And, and unless you 
deal with issue by issue and deal with it fairly, make sure people are held accountable, then some of this stuff uh, would actually go down, and then there wouldn't be so much uh, widespread dogma against the entire system. No, absolutely right. And that's something uh, that, listen, if anybody makes the statement that uh, if all white people in America are racist, is utterly ridiculous. What I saw with the death of George Floyd, I have never seen people of all races, nationalities, backgrounds who were so outraged by what they saw with this young man dying on America's television screens, and not only America, around the world. We have never seen pro- protests happen in a universal manner that we saw with the death of George Floyd. There's something about seeing a man beg for his life, beg for his life, and an officer, a law enforcement officer, ignores it and double downs on this man's neck to take his life. That is uncomprehendable to me. We're going to get into all of that. Uh, I want to get the thoughts really quick of Dave Zappolo. Dave, look, uh, your thoughts on this, uh, you, 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 also, you were from the East Coast originally, uh, but there's no, there's no limited area where we're not seeing this type of behavior. And after the death of George Floyd, video after video after video surfaced about African-American people dying at the hand of these officers. Give us your thoughts on that. Well, you look at what's happening in America today. In 2020, 1,066 people were killed by police. 28% of them were black. That's almost 300 black people were killed by police. Where, when you look at it, where 12% of the U.S. population is black, that is a huge number to look at. And you see more and more that the police are doing this. Where, oh, he, it, he had a gun. No, it turned out he had a cell phone. Oh, he had a knife. No, he didn't have anything in his hand. Oh, he was on a bike and he pulled a gun. No, he didn't have a gun. All of these things. And then you look at not only that, but then the brutality of the police. I always think about the family in Aurora. The police were looking for a motorcycle. They pulled over an SUV and had a family with their children down on the gr- face down on the ground. How do you do that? There has to be accountability. No, absolutely right. And we're going to get to that on the other side of the break, folks. We're just getting started. Uh, this is AJC Radio kicked off Thursday as we get ready for a season of information that will be very informative to all of our listeners across the United States. We welcome all of our listeners, not only in the United States, but around the globe. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio, Racism in America, a Nation Divided. We'll be back on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. Black History Month is huge. It's a way for us to reconnect with our history. Continue to celebrate and acknowledge the immense amount of contributions that Black people have made. Black History Month is a celebration of culture. Another opportunity for everyone to remember that we're all human. And to have a month that reminds people that Black history is American history. More than just having names and numbers and dates that are in a book. To remember how important it is 
to be black. I think that the important Black History Month is that if you don't know where you came from, you're not going to be prepared for where you're going. We all stand on the shoulders of somebody else. If I stand tall, it's because I'm standing on the shoulders of those who came before me. Black history. More than a month. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Columbine, Virginia Tech. Tucson. Aurora. Fort Hood. Oak Creek. Newtown. 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 How many more? How many more? How many more colleges? How many more classrooms? How many more movie theaters? How many more houses of faith? How many more shopping malls? How many more street corners? How many more? How many more? Enough. 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 Demand a plan. Right now. As a mom. As a dad. As a friend. As a husband. As a wife. As an American. As an American. As an American. As a human being. For the children of Sandy Hook. Demand a plan. No more lists of names. It's not too soon. It's too late. Now is the time. Before we all know someone who loved someone on that list. No more lists. No more. Who they might have been. No more. If we had just done something yesterday. It's time. We can do better than this. We can do better than this. It's time. It's time. It's time for our leaders to act. Demand a plan. Right now. Right now. You! Demand it! Enough. 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 The racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail, about half of 1%. Less than 1%. That doesn't seem very large, but when you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 
36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than one in 100 Americans are currently in jail. But for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about one in four. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself. In the ways police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind. But people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates. And lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised? Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of cost and benefit faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that Radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo. Welcome back to AJC Radio tonight as we are kickoff Thursday, if you will, as AJC Radio hits the circuit, if you will, again across this nation, searching for the message of justice all around the world. Tonight we deal with a very troubling issue that all Americans and our brothers across international waters have seen over the last several months of racism in America crossing racial lines. And this is this show title is, is, is definitely suitable, A Nation Divided. We have found that over the last several months that there seems to be now more than ever attention drawn to the death of African American people. No regard for human life as if their lives absolutely do not matter. We have seen a lot going on. And let me say this as we get ready to get into the discussion on this show. 
and I meant to do it earlier, but I'll do it now. To the families of the tragedy that took place in our nation's capital, Capitol Hill, to the lives that were lost as a result of needless violence and something that we have never in the history of this country seen take place, as a result of rhetoric, hate speech, if you will, from every side, we, we saw that play out in this country uh, not too long ago. And I'll tell you what, uh, that was a tragedy. Our thoughts and prayers here at AGC Radio go out to the families, uh, the victims of the violence that took place. And let me make no mistake about it, uh, we haven't heard the last of that, of the ramifications uh, of the people that have suffered uh, and gone through ex- extreme trauma as a result of the actions that took place on Capitol Hill. David, if you'd like to comment on that uh, as we move on. Well, it's a, it's a sad, uh, tragic event, but somewhat predictable. Um, political rhetoric uh, has gotten really polarizing on both sides. Uh, I, I think back to where Hillary Clinton uh, marginalized a number of millions of people who who tend to vote for Trump. Well, you can't you can't marginalize those people. She called them pretty much a basket of deplorables. Well, those are millions of people. They had their reasons uh, for voting for Trump. That that didn't mean they necessarily liked Trump. They po- they possibly uh, sided with some of his policies, but. You can't just put everybody in one basket. They've done that with African-Americans over a period of time. All African-Americans are like this. You can't put all African-Americans in one basket. You can't put anybody in one basket. There are fringe elements uh, on the Democratic side. There are fringe elements on the Republican side. And But, the, again, the mainstream media stokes so much uh, division and hate, uh, and not only division and hate, but it's almost – they treat a certain group, certain groups of people in our in our country as if they're despicable. Uh, and honestly, uh, politicians on one side can take advantage of the, of their discontent, and vice versa. You got po- politicians uh, uh, fomenting all sorts of different uh, things in this country and 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 creating division. Well, and, and in this case, let me let's be clear on this one: uh, the people that that took uh, the words of President Trump, no matter how it was spoken, perception-wise, this was a call to action. Uh, I think that is why the outrage uh, has come to the level that it's come to in this country, uh, because we've never seen this happen. Uh, You can argue on either side whether what was said, this was said, or that was said. One thing is certain. Something was perceived to be a call to act. As a result of that, you have the violence that we saw that we've never seen in the history of this country. So, uh, and, and David's point is well taken. Uh, a lot of people have their hand in the cookie jar on this one. Uh, at the end of the day, some way, somehow, when someone is in, is in a position of power, your words are taken very literally. That's the bottom line. When you are the president of the United States and you show certain actions and tweets and this and that, somebody that's to the far right or a radical, if you will, 
uh, not calling any political party, somebody may be sitting that, you know, down way somewhere across the country thinking, you know what? I feel like getting mad at somebody. Let's go down and do this or do that. Uh, it's dangerous. And that's been talked about for the last four years of, this, of the former administration. And prior to that, that we must be careful what we say as the most powerful uh, nation uh, uh, in the world. And that, that's critically important. But again, our, our condolences go out to the families, uh, the children who, who have suffered, whose parents work on Capitol Hill, in Congress who were scared, wondering if their parents, mom or dad, was even going to come home alive that day. That's unacceptable in this country anywhere. Uh, that's unacceptable. So again, um, uh, this is this is where we're at. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to dial in tonight at 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. And give us your thoughts as we get into this show, as we turn the page now, a nation divided, the racial divide here in America. Um, and uh, Kendrick, I'll give you an opportunity to comment on what we've talked about prior to getting into this discussion. Uh, your thoughts on the on the racial divide in America right now, uh, where things stand today? In, in my view, it's America has to deal with its history because if you try to ignore the history of this country, then you won't understand where you're where the country is headed. The the country has a history of oppressing groups that that are basically not desired in normal society. So if if you don't deal with that and and you keep that in the back of your mind that that there are people in this country that are less than you or less privileged than you, then there's a bias there and it kind of shows itself in policing because it it becomes that certain things that are that are historically said about black men that they're violent that they're somehow superly stronger than the average person and need to be taken down with more force than uh, maybe a white person or maybe an asian or any other kind of racial group and and what needs to be done in my view is that you you can't change the hearts of people how they believe but you can have laws that are that you enforce that you say no matter what you feel if you abide by the law and everyone is accountable, even to the police officer. If he shoots and takes a person's life without due process, there needs to be an immediate investigation, and it needs to be unbiased from the fact that, that you know, because cops get so much uh, almost immunity, and so much like you know, if they say their lives are in danger, that gives them almost like a fifty percent head start on the trial as, as it goes. But it should be the justice. The laws should be even. You should look at that officer at that moment as not as a police officer, but let's look at this person as a citizen. Look at the the whole scenario holistically, and then let the law be fair. Because if sure. they if they keep getting away with doing this without feeling like there's any sort of repercussions for it, it's going to continue to happen. No, absolutely right. And we're going to be joined here momentarily uh, by Brian Roney. Uh, he's the host of Real Prison Issues podcast, uh, and we're going to be connecting him here momentarily. But he actually has seen some things, not only in the free world, if you will, um, uh, but actually the uh, situation that he has seen. He's going to give his thoughts into this conversation. Uh, let me say this. 
we have to eventually start trying to get to solutions. Uh, and David, we had talked earlier this week in regards to the culture of America, the culture of racism uh, that you were kind of touching on earlier that is so profound and embedded, if you will, in this country. That's why people keep dying. And uh, somebody made the statement and made the statement that, you know what, uh, it's not as bad as it used to be. We're, not, we're living in a different time, but it's starting to see or to be proven. Are we, David, uh, David Banks, the question is to you, are we in darker times than what we were before? Because before, if you had racism anywhere in the country, many times they had on hoods or they had on uh, whatever outfit or uniform that, that made it clear what they were about. Now you have racism on the benches of courtrooms that wear black robes. You have racism where prosecutors occupy an office with a cherry wood desk. You have racism with folks wearing business suits and corporations. Does that make it, David, more dangerous and and more difficult to detect? Well, it's difficult to detect because it's hard to say uh, any person that's just uh, attribute racism to any person unless they've actually overtly done something that is racist. But when you talk about culture, I don't care if it's Southern culture, East Coast people have certain cultures, different uh, nationalities, uh, especially if you go to New York, you see all different types of culture. Well, culture is something that's uh, ingrained and many times embedded. Uh, This nation was built on a culture of slavery and racism. And uh, uh, granted, it has improved uh, uh, significantly. It still has some more improvement to go because people are more uh, conscious of things than they than they were now. But uh, where I think racism is very still systemic is in especially when men have power in in the criminal justice system to impact people's lives. And 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 one one final point: uh, some of this stuff is related to just. power corrupting people uh other is is just related to the way many times african-americans for many many years have been portrayed and i think uh in the new jim crow they talked about uh one study where they showed uh people pulling out a cell phone the blacks uh, blacks whites had a good mix of people and they showed the the study showed a person pulling something out of his uh out of his uh, pocket. And even when it was a cell phone, the black people actually thought it was a gun. So, and, and so the, the, so the white people thought the black person had a gun. They didn't expect the white person to pull out a gun, but both blacks and whites anticipated that the black person pulling something out of his pocket at that particular time was a gun. So those types of things shows you the culture and some stuff is actually subconscious where people have just, uh, the Bible says bad communication com- corrupts good manners, and many times the way things have been presented and communicated, people subconsciously have certain have have built in certain stereotypes, and they just need to be conscious and, and a little more deliberate in in dealing with some of these issues. Sure, sure, and we're going to get into that uh, right now. Uh, it's my it's my privilege to join, but to actually introduce Brian Rooney uh, for taking time out of his schedule tonight. Uh, as we were uh, in contact with him, our team was, uh, in regards to this show, 
And Brian, can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Thank you, uh, Mr. Rooney, for joining us tonight, uh, taking time out of your schedule. Uh, I'm going to just go right from the, from the, from the gate. Uh, I don't know how, how much you've listened to the show thus far. As we talk about a nation divided, uh, racism being, to me, at an all-time high and at a more dangerous level today uh, than it was 50 years ago, possibly, because uh, so many, as I stated earlier, are hidden behind different camouflages, if you will, uh, to incorporate this type of racism. Give us your thoughts on that, Brian, and introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, uh, thank you. First of all, I, I just want to thank uh, all of you guys for, for allowing me on the show. I've been listening uh, since the beginning. It's an incredible uh, opportunity. Um, I, I, I look at it like this. Uh, we are living in dangerous times, and, and I believe that, that you know 2020 was just the beginning of – of you know total chaos unless as you mentioned real solutions you know come about no no absolutely and 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 brian give us your thoughts uh tell us a little bit about yourself and what is it that that wanted you to be a part of this show to let your voice be heard in your position it looks like you've been through some things uh and you've faced and seen some things this is one point i made uh to a lot of people uh, at the beginning of the show, I made the statement that it's not only African-Americans that were outraged with what we have right. seen in the last several months. I saw police officers in tears over the death right. of George Floyd. Give, give us your thoughts about that, that this is a universal problem. And I, I am the first one that will tell you all uh, non-African-American people are not racist. There's a lot of people right. that have been on the front lines with these, with these protests. They're of all, all color, nationality, background. Give us your thoughts on that and, and explain a little bit of that to our listeners, what your position is. Well, my, my position is like this. Um, you know, you, you mentioned my past. Um, actually, in, in 2004, I was actually attacked by an officer uh, in northern Virginia by the D.C. Uh, area, and he broke my L1 and my L2 vertebrae. And I was, you know, I wasn't sure if I was, if I was going to be paralyzed. I was sent off to, you know, the hospital and, and everything. And it was basically a so-called routine stop in which he thought I was speeding away, which I was actually going six miles over the speed limit. He piped my car, hit me from behind. My car flipped multiple times. And as I was trying to get out of the car, he came up behind me, stuck his knee in my back, said freeze, and slammed my face into the ground. And, you know, uh, at that time in my life, and, and this is just coming from, from my perspective, I never thought anything like that would ever happen to me in my entire lifetime. You know, and, and it was like, right. you know, well, well, what's going on here? You know, and, and, and later on down the road, uh, uh, I did go to prison for 11 and a half years, uh, nonviolent property crimes, and, and it served my time. And I realized that my situation was not even close to being unique. And you start hearing people's stories on the inside about the injustice and, and 
the racism and the crooked cops and the court. And, and there was a common theme here. And you start hearing other people's stories and other people's sides and, 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 you know, what they went through. And that's what gave me a better perspective on actually what is going on today. No, absolutely, uh, Brian. And here's the thing, and I do agree with you. It is darker and more dangerous now. Uh, you know of, of the story of Eric Gardner? Uh, right. I'm going to get ready to play a clip. Of course. I'm going to get ready to play a clip for you, Brian. I want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, I don't sure. care how many times I hear this and hear what we hear. People dying. Right. It is unbelievable. Let's play the clip, and I'm going to get your thoughts on the other side of this. One sec. Sure. That was how 43-year-old New Yorker Eric Garner died on July 17th after police put him in what looked like a token. Police say Garner was on the sidewalk illegally selling cigarettes. Witnesses say he was actually trying to break up a fight. But thousands more have said that's just not the point. The hashtags Eric Garner, Justice for Eric Garner, and RIP Eric Garner have been used to express disgust and anger with folks accusing police of killing yet another unarmed African-American man. Steve Marmel tweeted, just make this trend. Hashtag Justice for Eric Garner. And from Linda Sartour, there are six children in Staten Island sleeping tonight without their dad. Eric Garner's family deserves justice. Garner's widow and other family members went to rallies in Harlem and Staten Island on July 19th. People everywhere have condemned not just Garner's death, but the root problem of police brutality targeting communities of color. Kim Moore said what the NYPD did to Eric Garner illustrates why black men live in fear daily. And DJ Rob Swift admitted, when I see a cop walking towards me on the sidewalk, I cross over to the other side of the street. Others demanded accountability. The most horrific thing I've seen in a very long time, Eric Garner, RIP. I hope every cop who participated gets life in prison. So far, the cop who put Eric Garner in the alleged chokehold, a move that's illegal, was stripped of his gun and badge, but is still at work on death duty. An investigation is underway. There's actually a long list of controversial killings that have led to little, if any, jail time. The NYPD officer who shot and killed unarmed Ramali Graham in his own apartment in 2012 was originally charged with manslaughter, but the case was later dropped. The transit officer who killed unarmed Oscar Grant at a train station in Oakland, California, ended up serving just a little more than a year of jail time for involuntary manslaughter. And the police who fired 50 bullets at Sean Bell and two other unarmed men in Queens back in 2006 all got off scot free. On Instagram, I am Queen31 wrote, Rest in peace, Eric Garner, Sean Bell, Trayvon Martin. That's just to name a few. The list goes on. The police confrontation with Eric Garner was caught on video. But what about all the others that aren't? Are you fed up with police brutality? Join the hashtag Eric Garner itself. And let us know what you think by tweeting us at AJ Clark. Well, there you have it. The death of Eric Gardner. For the accusation of selling 
cigarettes on a New York street corner. They wrestled this man down until they took his life. On the clip, you heard him saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. He lost his life for not even a misdemeanor. Pretty much a citation, uh, Brian. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I, I totally agree with you 100%. It, it's totally disgusting. I was actually serving time when that happened, and the reaction on the inside was just, you know. Uh, my, my, my point is this. How many examples, how many more examples do we need in America to wake up? That's, that's my, my question. Like, people want to debate me. On, on social media platforms, and I said, why is there even a debate, for instance, on George Floyd when an officer puts his knee in the back of his neck? Why are we even debating right. th- this issue? And, and, and it's, to me, it's disgusting. Uh, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, I mean, we can go on and on and on and on. Uh, the other day, I had a conversation with somebody who didn't even know who Rodney King was. Okay, and, right. and, and was wow. pre- you know, and we, and was preaching, you know, hey, unity, and 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 I said, you know, uh, this has been going on for decades. Twenty twenty was yes. just the pinnacle point, but this has been going on for decades, and this is where the education needs to come in, because people aren't getting it. They're not, and and, and I agree with you, Brian, one hundred percent. Look, I remember the Rodney King situation i was a little younger than i am today of course but (laughs) right that was the most that was the most tragic thing at that time that we had seen there was a separation of how to beat a man to that extent and if i'm not not mistaken they all walked right they did nobody Let me. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have one of our co-hosts here answer your question. Uh, sure. Why do we keep having to have the same conversation? What is it? What do we have to, Dave? Go ahead. I think the reason we keep having this conversation is is because there is no accountability. You look at yes. over and over again, officers get off for doing horrendous things, murdering, really murdering people, murdering citizens brutality and they get off over and over again so it empowers future people to be able to go through and oh i can do it i'm going to get off if anything happens of course absolutely right and and again this is a pattern of behavior uh but it's criminal i promise you if and just go here with me for a minute brian to our listeners and then we're going to get a couple couple more thoughts for some of our other co-hosts as well Change the equation and have the knee of George Floyd on the neck of this officer. Guess what? He doesn't live to tell it. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah there's no question about that. Right? So if that's the right? case, what excuses the officers? This is why America is outraged. There's no justice in this country. 
And right. until we come to right. come to grips with that, I mean, where do we where do we stand, David? Go ahead. Well, one quick, and it's it's these types of issues that inflame and really irritate people and make them angry. This was overtly done. When a man tells you he can't breathe, he can't breathe. So when you when you decide I'm going to go ahead, either I'm going to keep my knee on his neck or I'm going to keep choking him, that turns into murder. If you can't right. if you can't bring justice and accountability on these types of cases, this, this these are not uh, uh, nebulous facts uh, that that are in these cases, and that's why people you have the outrage and and where people think well. It's that bad. It must be ten times worse if you can see a man getting killed on camera, and 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 crying that he can't breathe, and you still kill him, and there's still no officer that goes to prison for that. That's what makes people angry, and that's what inflames tensions. That's what creates riots, because it's just like right. okay, if the guy if the guy had a gun, okay, uh, you, you, people can understand that. But when you're choking a man to death, or or got his knee on his neck. And, and he's telling you he can't breathe. And then they wonder, well, what are these people? Let's wait to the facts. We don't need to wait to the facts. He choked him. He said he couldn't breathe. So right. uh, what else? What other facts do we really need? Go ahead. <laughs> that's, exactly. No, I mean, I mean, I completely agree with you. And, and that's what I was talking about. You know, when, when people try to debate, wait till the facts, wait till look, the man's knee was in the back of this man's back. We saw it. Everybody saw it. And we are tired of it. When is enough enough? It is time for action. It, it's, you know, the lip service is over with because if we keep receiving lip service, uh, we're going to have the same results. And now is the time for change. If, if, if we can't solve this division, then, of course, we're going to have more problems down the road. Oh, absolutely right. Cliff, your thoughts on this one? Yes, absolutely the truth. I mean, we have to, first off, uh, bring accountability to law enforcement. I think once law enforcement is held accountable for their actions, just like the rest of society, that's when we'll begin to see some of these changes take place. That's if right. you tell a man that, well, you can kill another person, you can murder a person, you can maim, disfigure handicap another human being and there is no accountability you will reap no repercussions for that then man by nature is going to lean toward being evil and you put a person in power that evil gets twisted and then you tell them okay now you're evil twisted individual with power and we're going to allow you with no accountability to kill another human being what do we expect to happen? What do we as society expect police officers to do when they have been given a, a, a free ticket by just using the phrase, I felt my life and the life of my fellow officer was in danger? That gets you off of your murder rap, off of your, um, you know, your excessive force rap. It gets you out of anything that you could ever have done wrong as a police officer. When we start to hold officers accountable – then that is the only time these things will change. Otherwise, officers will use their badge, their blue uniform, to conduct themselves whatever they want to against whatever uh, party or sect of people that they want to. For sure, and, 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 and right on that. Brian, we're going to take a quick break, but Kendrick had a comment. We're going to come back. With, are you still good on time, Brian? Oh, I'm absolutely. Good deal. Kendrick, your thoughts? 
I, I was just wondering because, as you're saying, there's it, he Brian was saying it shouldn't be a question. This shouldn't be an argument about what to be what needs to be done because the the question is why does every time something like this happens, they always say we're going to the feds come in and say we're going to investigate a civil rights violation. Now there's federal murder, but they never go after the officer on anything that's got any teeth. Now my question is. Congress came together on the famous 90 on the crime bill 93 and it had like a you know support all over Congress and it, was, it had detrimental impact in the long run but why can't they come together and say we need to come up with a law that says when when this happens you just don't say oh civil rights investigation and they always get off they can if we pressure our representatives in Senate to say look you're going to come up with a real law like you do for everything else you know, you do, and now now you look at the big mistake that the not, the crime bill was. But why can't you get together with common sense and really get the pressure and come up with laws that say, you know what, we're going to make sure that when this happens, you just don't throw some arbitrary charge on it that you know they're going to get away with. No, oh, absolutely right. And there was a uh, bill called the George Floyd uh, uh, bill that was supposed to honor basically his memory and say we don't want this to happen again. I have yet to hear progression on that bill. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. We're joined tonight by our very special guest, Brian Rooney, who's given a clear perspective of what a lot of the American people and people around the world are thinking. What in the world is going on? When a man is on the ground, in the case of George Floyd, there was one video that went viral on TikTok and YouTube where Mr. Floyd is in the vehicle. And the officer who ultimately put his knee on the neck of this man and took his life approaches the car. Mr. Floyd says to him, man, please don't kill me. This is before, and I'm looking at it. Mr. Floyd's hands are on the steering wheel. He said, put your hands on the steering wheel. He said, man, please don't kill me. Please, man. He said, I just lost my mother. Please don't kill me, man. Begging for his life prior to him ever being on the ground in front of a vehicle. And this man's knee, this officer, and I use the man loosely, the, the term man loosely, this is a coward. Took the life of a man for absolutely no reason. Make no mistake about it, the death of George Floyd took <coughs> a nation and a world in the process. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to call in tonight. We'd like to hear your thoughts as well. The number is 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. A nation divided. The racial divide in America. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. She's coined a new term for the times we're living in. Brace for it, parents of America. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. What? Oh, what? Alternative facts. Lies. We did. Also known as stereotypes or false narratives. It's like saying black history began with slavery. That's offensive. Or that we'll never see another black president in our lifetime. What about me? 
this Black History Month, we're focusing on the facts, not on that facts. Indisputable. Truth. Real. Black girl magic is real. Black boy joy is real. Black wealth is real. Black beauty is real. Black support is real. Black excellence is real. It's real. Black love, that's real. Black lives are real. I'm real. Black history didn't begin with slavery. And it doesn't end with the Obamas. Whom we love. And miss. No, like, really, we really miss you. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm gonna give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call one 855-529-4252 that is a just cause and we fight for justice again call a just cause today don't delay call 1-855-529-4252 it is time and I say high time that we take America's incarceration seriously won't you join us? Call today. The criminal justice system has a set of rights created to protect you. But do you think it's really protecting us? You had a right to remain silent. But that really means you had a right to be silent, doubted, interrogated, suspected. The color of your skin can and will be used against you in the court of law. In their hands, we're incarcerated five times more often than white people convicted for the same crime. You have a right to attorney during questioning. In some states, 80% of criminal defendants can't even afford an attorney. So an overworked public defender controls your fate. One government employee, countless lives at stake. You had a right to be innocent until proven guilty. But somehow, about 47% of the wrongly convicted are black. And if they do prove you're guilty, they're going to write you a run-on sentence on average 20% longer than white defendants accused of the same crime. Even if you get out, you're still not free. When you're an ex-con, they had a right to deny you a bank account, deny you a mortgage, deny you a job, deny your vote. And if you don't remain perfect with the smallest slip up, smallest infraction, the most honest mistake, you're going to join us, the 80% who come back to prison within five years, as I did. That's when you realize they didn't bring us here to thrive. They brought us here to build this. 
The plantation and the prison are actually no different. The past is the present. It ain't no coincidence. This was the plan since abolition, to keep us subjugated by creating this system. But I believe in a different set of rights. The right to stand up and be heard. The right to reform a broken justice system and build a new future. We had the right to be silent. Now it's our right to speak up. Do you understand these rights as I read them to you? A Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young black You can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything his family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations, people pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially if they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. 
Visit guiltypleadproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us in demanding that our elected officials do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. of America, this is AJC Radio, as tonight we find ourselves in, unfortunately, very familiar territory addressing racism and a nation divided. We have been privileged tonight thus far to have Brian Rooney, who has given some clear perspective into this discussion. This is a discussion that must happen. This is troubling, as we have learned thus far in this program tonight. I would extend an invitation for anybody that wants to comment into this discussion. Feel free to dial 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628, as we continue to go down this road. And Brian, are you with us? Brian, are you there? Can you hear me? I got you now, Brian. Thank you so much. I'm going to play a clip sure. right now. This, this this clip discusses why people around the world are pro- uh, were protesting the death of George Floyd. We're going to get your thoughts on the other side of this clip. Let's play it. Thousands of people around the world have gathered to protest the death of George Floyd, including here in Berlin, the German capital, where artists spray-painted this mural. George Floyd died after police officers knelt on his back and neck for several minutes. And some of Floyd's last words, I can't breathe, are now being carried and chanted by protesters around the world. In New Zealand, large crowds peacefully took to their knees. In Europe, soccer players defied strict rules to show solidarity too. 
Concerns over safety almost canceled rallies in Sydney and Belgium, but the rallies ended up going ahead peacefully there. Meanwhile, in Paris, peaceful protests were overshadowed by riot police firing tear gas on protesters. Activists threw debris and set fires during the demonstration, which was unauthorized due to coronavirus restrictions that ban public gatherings of more than 10 people. The responses from foreign leaders to Trump's handling of the protests have also varied. When Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was asked about it, he initially responded with a prolonged silence. Before saying, we all watch in horror and consternation what's going on in the United States. Germany's foreign minister called the protests legitimate, while German Chancellor Angela Merkel condemned the killing of George Floyd by saying, it is racism. We also know something like racism in our country, and therefore, we also have our hands full. And Pope Francis said that we cannot tolerate or turn a blind eye to racism. Meanwhile, in China, officials abused the protests as an opportunity to accuse the U.S. of a double standard when it comes to the handling of protesters. How concerned are you about a violent crackdown by the Chinese in Hong Kong? Well, I am concerned. I wouldn't want to see a violent crackdown. I really would like to see China, in a humane way, solve the problem in Hong Kong. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. All I ask for is reform, bro, reform. It's not too much to ask for, please tell me. But why are the demands of the U.S. Black Lives Matter movement resonating in so many other places around the world? What we've learned from the various demonstrations is that many protesters share with Americans the same anger and frustration over racial injustice in their own countries. Here's one voice from Brazil. Brazil's black communities say the country's poorest neighborhoods are the sites of frequent police brutality. Last month, 14-year-old João Pedro Pinto became the latest victim of what activists say is indiscriminate state violence. Last year, police killed over 1,800 people in Rio alone, the highest death toll since records began in the late 90s. Both in Brazil and the United States, police officers stably shoot more people in a week than many other countries do in a year on average. But even in countries that don't have the same shocking numbers, high-profile cases have sparked accusations of systematic injustice in the past. In Australia, protesters this week referenced the death of David Dungay, an Aboriginal man who died in jail in 2015. He died after saying, I can't breathe, 12 times. Meanwhile, in France, the death of Adama Traore in police custody four years ago was still on the minds of many protesters this week, too. What's different now is that anger over systematic racial injustice has met outrage over a U.S. president who, to many abroad, symbolizes that system. Here in Germany, over the last few days, 
A number of major newspapers have called President Trump a racist, and on the streets, that criticism sounded even harsher. And with more protests planned over the next coming weeks, this is a message that is unlikely to disappear from the streets anytime soon, especially with U.S. elections coming up in a few months. Universal problem from every community, nation, providence, whatever, anywhere in this country and across international waters, we have a major, major problem. The report that you just heard spoke to the fact that international leaders are talking about the death and the brutal killing of George Floyd. This is something that that needs to be talked about. Brian, give me your thoughts on what you just heard. Well, I I, I think that it's, it's, you know, now is the time, especially, you know, in, in last year in 2020, where you know, you add on all of these these horrific deaths and, and senseless deaths caused by the police. You, you tack COVID on that. You tack on political, you know, issues, and, and people are getting fed up. Uh, you know, America is considered to be, you know, to set the standard around the world. And look at how people have reacted. People are just getting you fed up with it. And, and as I mentioned before, how many more examples? You all mentioned uh, accountability. And accountability is the key factor. What about the police mentality the, it, as a whole? It, it has not changed. It, it's gotten worse. And the power struggle, which we're always going to see, as, as you all mentioned earlier, you know, you give somebody a gun, give them a right to arrest somebody, uh, essentially do whatever they want. That's a very powerful feeling, I'm sure. It's the same thing with, with uh, uh, you know, a guy with a gun and, and 20 grand in his pocket. It's a powerful feeling. And people abuse their power. And this is what we see. And we're getting tired of it. And I think that the voice around the world is saying, hey, look, it's either going to stop or there are going to be issues down the road. Oh, absolutely right. Absolutely right. And there's not too many places in this country uh, that you're not finding this problem. Uh, and that, to me, is what is so tragic. We're going to be joined momentarily, Brian. I wanted to give you the opportunity. You've been with us since the show started. Uh, I'd love to have you stay on and, and, and chime in on this conversation with our next guest uh, that's going to be coming on here momentarily. Uh, but I want to be respectful of your time as well. How's your schedule here for the next 45 minutes? Oh, 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 I'm, I'm in for the long haul. I love it. Thank you. Okay, good to have you. And uh, we're going to be, again, bringing Carl Snowden. is actually going to be coming on to discuss uh, this same conversation. So once we get him 
uh, ready to go. Uh, we're going to bring him on. But I do want to uh, share a story that happened here in our backyard in Aurora, Colorado. A black woman held at gunpoint with children by Aurora police speaks on dehumanizing uh, and basically what she actually felt. This happened on August 3rd of 2020. Uh, the nail salon outing with an African-American mom, her sister, daughter, and nieces that turned into a viral ordeal in which police held the family at gunpoint. Now has Aurora, Colorado's police chief, scrambling for a suitable response. Meanwhile, the woman who was handcuffed and held in the back of a squad car is left trying to explain to the children she was responsible for what happened to them. She, she states, when you're a parent, you have to answer every time your child calls, cries, gets a boo-boo, Brittany Gillum told the Denver Post, not being able to pick up the pieces uh, with the officer, uh, officers dehumanizing them, putting them through that traumatic experience, it's heartbreaking. A cell phone video that has gone viral since that Sunday incident shows the girls who range in the age from six to 17 in a parking lot being detained by officers. As they are being held, they are shown screaming in fear and crying. At least two of them are handcuffed and laying face down. The incident comes as Aurora Police is already under scrutiny over the death of Elijah McClain, a 23-year-old black man who died last summer after a police chokehold. That case is being investigated. Gilliam told local station KUSA-TV that she was driving the group to the salon, but it was closed, so they returned to their vehicle. Soon after, Aurora police approached their car with weapons claiming they believed it was stolen. Police say a motorcycle with the same license plate number was actually the vehicle reported stolen. But Aurora police chief Valerie Wilson, in her first day in her role, Tuesday, August 4th, told the Post it was done wrong. That's the bottom line. She acknowledged the officer's mistakes and said a determination should have been made about the vehicle being stolen by looking up the license plate number in the National Crime Center. If they had, they would have realized they had the wrong vehicle. I would have expected that they should have followed training and verified that prior to the stop, said Wilson. But she also said that placing children on the ground, having them stay there was a second mistake. We're hoping that an officer is going to make the determination and say, hmm, Something's wrong here. I'm not going to put this little kid on the ground, Wilson said. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Can you believe that? What are kids doing on the ground? Not because they robbed a bank. They were stopped. Common sense tells you if there's a report of a stolen vehicle, a description of that vehicle is reported. The license plate definitely will show this is a motorcycle and not a vehicle. And you have these kids, two of them handcuffed. I don't I, I differ with the with the current chief. That's not a mistake. That's a deliberate act and a violation of protocol as we know it. Brian, your thoughts on that? Oh, I totally agree. I mean, the justifications that follow after the act, I mean, think about that. I mean, just what what you said, you you place a child on the ground and and they feel that that's necessary. 
and and I just I, I don't get I just don't get the mentality of of some of these officers who feel like that they can just go above the law, but they do. And then after they do break their own protocols, then they justify it, they rationalize it, they minimize it, and then they cover it under the rug. And then we don't hear about it anymore. Well, how does a chief of police come back and use the language? A mistake is <laughs> right. That, that, a mistake. Just, it's how is that disgusting. A it, it was a choice, a little, as you mentioned. That's a, absolutely, Brian. Here's look. Let me. We're going to get back into this dialogue. I want to bring uh, Carl Snowden on now. Uh, he is CEO and president at Carl Snowden and Associates. Uh, I'm anxious to hear his thoughts on this, as he's going to chime in and give his thoughts on this discussion. But we're going to get back to this Aurora uh, situation with those kids and that family. I'm so appalled right now. Uh, we're going to get thoughts from our other co-hosts here on this as well. Mr. Snowden, are you there? I am. Good evening. How Mr. are you? I'm doing good, Mr. Snowden. Thank you so much for joining AJC Radio tonight. We appreciate your perspective uh, that I know you will bring to this, along with our other uh, special guest, Brian Rooney. Uh, I don't know how long you've been tuned in, but I, I'm anxious for you to introduce yourself to our listeners, and we're going to pick up this dialogue about the Aurora situation with those kids and that family. Go ahead, please. You, the floor is yours to introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, again, uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm from Annapolis, Maryland, and my background, for those uh, who may not know, I've been active in uh, civil rights for more than 40 years. I came to become involved in the civil rights movement because when I was a teenager, following the death of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, I became very involved in the civil rights movement. And believe it or not, at the tender age of 16 years of age, uh, the FBI in the state of Maryland um, compiled a FBI file on me, one that I would not learn that I had until I was 22. So between the ages of 16 and 22, I would discover that as part of the FBI's COINTEL uh, program, account intelligence program, they had uh, included me on this list. I would later run for public office, get elected to the Annapolis City Council, spend 12 years there, and eventually become the first civil rights director for the office of the Maryland Attorney General. And over the years, I've had uh, numerous experiences working with the police department and working with communities addressing systemic racism and how we as a nation can address this very serious problem. It's been with us for a long time. Yes. Yes, and, and Mr. Snow, let me ask you, as, as, as we've been in discussion tonight, we're talking about a nation divided. Uh, racism in America really divided right down the middle, which is the, danger, the most dangerous position, I think, for a nation to be in. Uh, when you have division and a divide like that, you have issues like we saw uh, on Capitol Hill with the violence that took place there. Uh, people are in disarray. They're... they're People are mad. They're angry. Uh, and all of this starts coming out. And as you know, as the, over the last several months with the death of George Floyd, which we've been really on topic tonight, we're going to be doing uh, a series of this issue for the next three weeks. Uh, give me your thoughts on the impact of the death of George Floyd. According to what we have seen in reports, shook the entire world. Give me your thoughts on that and how important it is 
for us to call it what it is. And that was a brutal murder by law enforcement to the to to to, to uh, George Floyd. Give us your thoughts on that. Well, one of the things I think is important. Um, you mentioned the topic as a nation divided. I think we yeah. have to admit that nation didn't just become divided. The nation started off very much as a divided nation. I think one of the things that George Floyd case does is bring to the forefront that, as Joe Biden said, the campaign and his campaign for the presidency, it's really a campaign for the soul of America. And if you look at the history of this country from its very inception to the present, what we're seeing is the contradiction of what America allegedly stood for and what America is. And for African-Americans, this is not new. I mean, George Floyd case is probably the most prominent case in recent memory. But for people who know the history of this nation, uh, we know that there have been very many brutal acts. Uh, Emmett Till in 1955 and his brutal murder by, by the way, law enforcement officials. People forget it was law enforcement officials who wound up killing Emmett Till. That launched the national civil rights movement. So police brutality, uh, injustice has been part of the American fabric. Malcolm X one time said that there's no chip on my shoulder. We need to get your foot off my neck. And in many ways, when George Floyd, for the whole world, seeing someone's foot on his neck, it captured what Malcolm X was talking about even in the 60s. The fact of the matter is that African-Americans, and particularly men, African-American men have always been put in a very vulnerable position in this country. One of the things that George Floyd did was bring people together from all over the world. Uh, One of the things that have happened in Maryland and other places around the country is it's not just black people who see the outrage now. Uh, Many, many progressive whites have gotten involved in this movement, the Latino community. We understand very clearly what's at stake. And I think what's at stake and what the incident at the Capitol proved, that we're very, very close, very, very close to this country becoming a dictatorship. Uh, We were very, very close. And I just think that we are now at this point where we have to decide as a nation who are we and what do we want to become? And lastly, if I can just add this thought, sure. most Americans do not really know the true history of the nation. If you were to ask the average person, for example, who's Thomas Jefferson, they would quickly tell you Thomas Jefferson was one of the founders who wrote the Declaration of Independence. If you ask them who James Madison was, again, they could tell you who James Madison was in the Madison Papers. But if you ask those same people who was Madison Washington, they wouldn't have a faintest idea who he was. And for those who would take the time and Google Madison Washington, they would discover here's an African-American who was able to liberate his people in the 1700s. We have a lot of missing history that the more we are able to educate communities of what their struggles have been about, I think we'll be closer to resolving the great divide that exists in this country. And very good point, Mr. Snowden. Uh, 
Uh, Brian, your thoughts on that? I, I think that's very uh, informative. What are your thoughts, Brian? Oh, I think it's incredibly informative, and, and I believe that, that Mr. Snowden hit on, you know, a very important uh, point where it's people have to know the history of this country, and, and it, it kind of perplexes me that people today are, are kind of think that, you know, the George Floyd murder, like, this is something new, and, and I always implore people, like, go back and, and, and look at the continued behavior of of police and and you know and just we we need to have this discussion. So Mr. Snowden was correct. Oh, absolutely right. And uh, hey, hey, Mr. Snowden, Brian, and to our listeners out there, I'm going to be ready to play a clip. I don't want to leave Brianna Taylor, one of one of the most senseless killings that I've ever seen. And I say that about George Floyd. I say it about other people. No, this is not anything new in this nation. And I I agree with Mr. Snowden uh, and you, Brian, as well, that educating and not removing stuff out of the educational system to let people know, look, don't take a view that you're not educated about. Don't get mad when protesters, Martin Luther King said, I read somewhere we have the right to protest. Why are people protesting? It is because their voices have gone silent. So it's like, is anybody hearing us? Is anybody listening? Is anybody watching? I believe that is the key of us trying to figure out why are these versus criticizing protesters? And we're not talking about looting looting and, and all of that. We're talking about people that hit the streets of this country. Not only this country, in the UK, in Australia, everywhere, that said we as human beings do not agree with what we have seen shake an entire world. Uh, I'm going to play this clip on Brianna Taylor. Mr. Snow, I'm going to get your thoughts, Brian, yours as well, and our co-hosts are going to chime in. Let's play the clip. Dancing with friends. Singing her favorite song, buying her dream car. She loved life. She loved to be around friends and family. She just, she had it figured out. This is Brianna Taylor. Etched in her family's memory. She was the closest thing to me. She was like my sister, my best friend, my cousin, all in one. 26 and full of life. A dedicated EMT with dreams of becoming a nurse. A helper, always there to lend a hand. Say her name! Now, her name on the lips of so many protesters, continuing across the country, seeking justice and police reform, pushing towards a national reckoning on race. Does it make you proud knowing that Brianna is helping literally change the world right now? I knew she was destined for greatness. I hate she had to go through this to prove it. What do you think it will take for you to be able to grieve properly? To know that these officers are going to be charged with a crime, to be held accountable for their actions. What is the crime you think they're guilty of? Murder. On March 13th, as Brianna and her boyfriend, Kenny Walker, lay asleep in their bed, plainclothes police officers broke down their door using a battering ram on a no-knock drug warrant. 
Kenny, thinking intruders were violently breaking in, grabbed his licensed gun and fired a single shot, hitting one officer in the leg. The police returned fire with 20 bullets, eight striking Brianna, killing her. 911, Operator Harris, where is their emergency? Uh, I, don't, I don't know what happened. Did somebody kick in the door inside my girlfriend? <laughs> my God. Police say they were looking for drugs, but none were found at the apartment. The drug dealer they were investigating had already been arrested earlier that day. Kenny was initially arrested and charged with attempted murder. His case has since been dropped. But nearly three months later, the officers are still on the job. No charges filed. Police say they only fired after Kenny first fired upon them. If no-knock warrants were exercised against people living in Beverly Hills or Bel Air with the same frequency that they are exercised against Black people who live in Black neighborhoods, we would have far more constraints on police officers' ability to do that. Kimberly Crenshaw is a law professor at Columbia University and UCLA. If you are exercising your Second Amendment right to protect your home, you will shoot back. And when you shoot back, that becomes a justification for the police officers to completely take your home out. After Brianna was killed, Tamika spent hours searching for her, grasping for answers, when she finally spoke to an officer at the scene. He asked if Brianna or Kenny, if I knew if they had any enemies or anybody that would want to hurt them. And of course, no, absolutely not, I say. And he asked if anything had been going on with Brianna and Kenny. I asked, uh, are you insinuating that Kenny did this? Because he would never. And they're asking questions without letting you know that it was a police officer who shot your daughter. Exactly. They could have told her what happened to Brianna, but they were in self-protection mode. And if we can get that good story together, we can muddy the waters enough so that there aren't going to be significant demands for uh, an investigation. These are the kind of procedures that tell us that the police have too much power and control to determine the aftermath. In a failed effort of transparency, the Louisville Metro Police Department released the incident report yesterday with virtually no details, listing Brianna's injuries as none. Brianna Taylor's case is more representative of where we are as a country than the George Floyd's. Lee Merritt represents Brianna's family. More often than not, it happens like it happened to Brianna Taylor, where she's brutalized and killed and then criminalized. Her boyfriend goes to jail. The men who are responsible for her death are not fired or arrested. The Louisville Metro Council is considering legislation to limit the use of no-knock warrants, but the practice remains in place. I think it's insane. Why would you want to enter into a home in the middle of the night without announcing yourself? Because had they done that, Brianna would have definitely let them in. What do you miss the most about your daughter? Her smile. You have a vivid smile. Hers must have been dazzling. Yeah. That dazzling smile now plastered around the country, but her case was largely overlooked for two months until the release of Kenny's 911 call, 
amidst protest over George Floyd's death. In the beginning, it was just me and my family saying her name. Say her name! Say the names of black women who were killed by the police. We expand our understanding of all of the circumstances under which black lives are put at risk. Crenshaw started the Say Her Name campaign to raise awareness of black women who were killed by police. We think it's men. We think it happens uh, in public space when there's an encounter. And then it escalates into a homicide. When the facts don't fit the frame, people forget the facts. Do you know what happened to Breonna Taylor? But today... Celebrities from Cardi B. Do you know Brianna Taylor's story, her whole story? To Ali Wong and Carrie Washington saying her name. She motivated me. She supported me. She made me who I am today. Back in Louisville, Brianna Flakes hopes her cousin Brianna's legacy transforms the world into a safer place for her son. He's six, but he's starting to understand. He's starting to realize. What? We need to let the world know that we as black people are tired. We are tired. Since losing her daughter, Tamika Palmer has been fighting for what's now known as Brianna's Law, the ban of no-knock warrants that allow officers to forcibly enter homes. No family should ever have to go through this. Respect black women. Respect black women. It's bigger than Brianna now to just have all these different people, these different walks of life come together and want the same thing. It's amazing. Well, there you have it. The death of Brianna Taylor another casualty of injustice, another casualty of abusive behavior and a culture that has gone awry. Uh, joining us back, uh, we do have Brian and we do have Carl Snowden, uh, and that's Brian uh, Roney. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on that uh, report. How is it, and let me say this before we, before we get your thoughts on it, how do you show up to a man's house in street clothes in the middle of the night and kick the door in? You have no idea that these are officers. These could be people there to kill you for whatever reason. And he fires upon this officer who, again, has not identified himself because him and his girlfriend or fiance are sleeping. They're startled at the at the point. You know how loud that had to have been. A corp, a door being kicked in. How in the world do we bring any level of justification? Twenty shots. Twenty shots. Eight shots. Almost half into the body of Brianna Taylor. Mr. Stone, I'll start with you. Well, again, I want to make two points, um, and I say this particularly to young people and young activists, because so often, because we don't know our history, we assume that the Brianna Taylor is an aberration. But there's a young man who is younger than Brianna Taylor. He was 20 years old. There's now a movie made of his murder. He was Fred Hampton in Chicago. 
the exact same thing you described happened in that case. Fred Hampton, who happened to be a member of the Black Panther Party, in bed with his pregnant girlfriend, police uh, in Chicago, kick open his door and murder him. Nobody was convicted of the murder of Fred Hampton, although the city of Chicago eventually had to pay the family a $2 million civil suit settlement. But a lot of young people don't know that that story has happened before in our history. And the example I give to people often that I want people to really pay attention to, if you were to ask the average adult, the average parent, black parent, the following question. If your son or daughter, who's a teenager, is abused by some bigoted, racist police officer, whether it's in Colorado or Mississippi or Alabama, and it's midnight, and he he or she is being mistreated and have told to shut up, what is your advice you would give to your son or daughter? And 99% of the people will say the following. I would tell my son or daughter to shut up. Keep your mouth shut. And that sage advice that they're giving them is based on what they know, which is you can be right, but the police could literally kill you and get away with it. And so out of love and respect for their children, they advise their children to keep quiet. Don't say anything. Try to survive that moment. Most people think that's great advice. I happen to disagree. And here's the reason why. We're living in 2021. If you go back 100 years and you ask black parents under the same scenario what would they tell their children, it would be the same thing we're telling our children today. Keep quiet. Try to survive. Go to 200 years ago. 1821, we were saying the same thing. 1721. The truth of the matter is we must begin to tell our children just the opposite of what we've been saying which is we have to create a society where because you're black, your civil rights and your human rights cannot and must not be abused. We must stand up, we must speak up, and we must fight back. We must tell our children and America and the world that we will not tolerate a society in which because you're black, you can be murdered and you're expected to say nothing. Good point, Mr. Snowden. Uh Brian, go ahead. Uh, that was a powerful point, and thank you, Mr. Snowden, for saying that. I, I, I just believe that it's just another example, and I pray that you know awareness is, is brought to this topic so we don't have to keep hearing about these senseless deaths, and, and that's what they are. And I think a lot of the divide is so many people are trying to justify what happened, and and we all know it's wrong. We witnessed it. We've seen it, and we need to do something about it. Oh, absolutely right. And I'm going to get some thoughts from our calls here as well. Well, let me say this prior to that. And to Mr. Snowden's point, we got the gentleman I believe it's Philel Castro in Minnesota, I believe that's his name, that was yeah. in the vehicle. Uh, and he complied. Absolutely. With the police. And when they asked him, 
he 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 was he was forthcoming. Look, I have a weapon in this vehicle. His two three year old daughter is in the back seat. He begins to proceed very cautiously to show the officer. I'm telling you, I have a license and a permit to carry this weapon. It is it is in the car. He followed every protocol that Mr. Stoughton says. Uh, in, in, in some cases, as far as parents telling their children. The bad part about this system, when you follow it, when your hands up in the air, That's right. this man was shot and killed in front of his little girl without cause. Without cause. Hmm. Hmm. You have the other gentleman, I believe, I believe it was Walter Scott that was walking away in a situation. Hands up, shot him in the back and gave him, I don't know how many warning shots in his back. Um, This is tragic. Clinton, Clinton, your thoughts on this one? Well, I appreciate everything that's being said in the eloquent words of Carl Snowden, and he's so so correct. We need leadership uh, in our country. Uh, We definitely need to change the instruction, but there's a way to do it. And, you know, let us not be naive. Uh, Civil wars have been started for less. And uh, violence is going to beget violence. Anger is going to beget, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, people still believe that way. And and, uh, they're not going to forget how you made me feel. How you made me feel when you killed my brother. How you Uh made me feel when you killed my father. And so we need leadership that will bring some accountability. Uh, the executive branch of government is where the police do their business. They're in the executive branch of government. So the leaders in that branch of government can easily start to curtail and show that we are having accountability to these officers. We're doing the right thing, and we're going to uh, you know, quell some of this. Uh, violence that's going on to settle the people down. Otherwise, uh, this thing is going to be like a powder keg. Well, and Mr. Stone, I'm going to get your, your comments on this. This is, I think, is, is an additional arm of the problem. When you have a nation divided, down the middle, that's 50-50, that comes with a lot of power on either side of the argument. How do you calm the fears of African-American communities when they start militarizing communities in African urban areas and low-income areas where when you basically are riding through the neighborhood on a tank? You're not going to trust. We say this all the time. Where's the trust and transparency of our communities with law enforcement? After the death and I'm going to get your thoughts, Mr. Snowden. After the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, did you know there was an increase in killing and the tactic of kneeling on people's necks of African-Americans actually got higher? How is this possible? Go ahead, Mr. Snowden. I think it's something. I I really think that, uh, again, I'm, I'm a student of history. And I like to look at what's happening today and look at what has happened in the past. And something 
happened with George Floyd that I don't want people to miss because it literally changed the direction of this nation. Remember, the majority of victims have been African-American. And the brother that made the point that people get tired. Mothers get tired of burying their young sons and husbands and daughters. And in May of 2020, black people got tired. And something happened in the nation that we seem to miss. Black people heard something Martin Luther King Jr. said 50 years ago and implemented it. So it's to the point the brother was making earlier of where we're going. Martin Luther King Jr. said in a democracy, the greatest march that any American can take is to the ballot box. And black people went to the ballot box in great numbers. Joe Biden would not be president of the United States had it not been for black people. In Georgia, where black people turned out in great numbers, elected for the first time a black man in Georgia and a Jew in Georgia, because they remember the black jogger who got murdered in Georgia. When you look at the five major swing states that gave Joe Biden the election, it's black people who came out in record numbers mothers and fathers who said, this got to change, and I'm voting for change. And Joe Biden became president of the United States. Now elected officials who are in power have the responsibility to respond to the hopes and dreams and aspirations of those black voters who gave them this opportunity. So I think as we see the appointments coming down the line, as we see legislation getting proposed, by the way, there is a George Floyd legislation that will, if passed by the Congress, would reform how police departments are responding to people all over the country. It is now time for us to use the tools that we have to bring about the systemic changes that we need. So I happen to think we're moving in the right direction, using the tools that we have available to us. And so I'm pretty optimistic, quite honestly, as we move toward the future. Our community is much more aware than it's ever been. We're seeing people get involved at all levels. We're not depending solely upon one person to be our Messiah or our Savior. All over the country, people are organizing. Here in Annapolis, Maryland, we had a similar situation where someone was murdered, and people are responding. So I feel pretty confident that as we see the consciousness of people being raised all over the nation, we're going to see the systemic change that we need. Thank you, Mr. Snowden, for that. Brian, go ahead. Yeah, I, I believe that that as, as more awareness is, is brought to these, you know, uh, topics on, on race and, and division, and, and I, I just believe that, you know, if, if we come together, if we're preaching unity, and if we're preaching uh, equality and we're preaching, you know, togetherness, then we need to start doing it. And as Mr. Snowden said, now is the perfect opportunity that we have as a nation to rise up and, and defeat this. And I just pray and hope that, that you know, it happens. Uh, we have a long way to go, 
but it's a start. Oh, absolutely right. And let me say this, uh, Mr. Snowden, uh, Mr. Rooney, uh, I cannot tell you how uh, thrilled and, and honored we are at AJC Radio that you have called into the show tonight and given a clear perspective to perspectives that make a difference. Uh, we are going to be discussing, uh, I mean, we've only hit George Floyd and Brianna Taylor. There's quite a few others uh, we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks on this program. This is uh, our kickoff night of AJC Radio for a new season. I would like to extend a personal invitation to both of you to, that you always are welcome to come on. Mr. Stone, I think your perspective speaks to the heart of what a lot of people need to hear, uh, as well as, as, as you, Brian. Uh, to have this dialogue is critical. Uh, so I want to extend that invitation to you, both of you, Thank you. Uh, as we continue down this path uh, for resolution. How do we see America in the next four years? Uh, the next eight years. What are we looking at? What are we looking at in two years? To Mr. Stone's point, uh, Martin Luther King's uh, request or call to action at the poll boxes to make a difference. That's not only the presidential election. That is your uh, two-year uh, congressional uh, midterm sure. elections that make a difference. So uh, I would like to extend that invitation to you guys. I'd love to have you guys back on. Uh, we are here every Thursday from 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, to 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. We would love to have you guys, and I will be actually in touch with both of you offline, and I can't say thank you enough. If you both like to give some closing remarks, I want to be respectful of your time and your evening, uh, and I'll start with you first, Mr. Snow. I would like to end with this, and again, I'm, I'm one that really believes that we have to pay attention to history and to make sure that people understand that this is part of an ongoing movement. George Floyd is not new. Yes. Black Lives Matter is no more than an extension of the Black Panther Party, which tried to come up with a program for self-defense because of police brutality. Many, many people make the mistake of assuming that the first time the words, I can't breathe, was uttered, was when it was uttered by Eric Gardner when he was murdered in New York State. Or they think when George Floyd just prior to his death, uttered the words, I can't breathe, that that was the first time that was done. It is not. The first time the word, I can't breathe, was uttered. It was not uttered in English. It was uttered in many different African dialects. There were people who were packed in the hull of ships, slave ships coming to America people who were not allowed to be able to get the basic human rights. They literally, literally were defecating on themselves and yeah. creating such a stench that in these various African languages, they said, I can't breathe. I just want people to understand that this is part of the struggle we've been engaged in in America since we arrived here in 1619. It's an ongoing struggle. And the good news I want to hit on is more and more people becoming aware that they, when they organize and mobilize and energize a community, they can and have made a difference. So I'm optimistic as we move into the third decade of the 21st century. Thank you, Mr. Snowden, for that. I hope to have you join us again on this program. We'd love to have you Thank back. You. Okay. Uh, Mr. Rooney? 
Yes, uh, I just want to thank you, gentlemen, for the invitation and for allowing my voice to be heard on this topic. Um, I, I respect everything that is said, and I, I believe that you know this conversation is so crucial because I, I truly believe, even though there is a lot of awareness about this topic, there are still some people who aren't you know, willing to honestly take a look at, at, at what's going on around our nation. And, but I believe that that can change, and I believe it will change as, as we move forward. Thank you so much. Gentlemen, thank you for your, uh, your time tonight on this program. Uh, I know you always have a friend here at AJC Radio and a platform uh, to let your voices be heard uh, in the future and days to come. We appreciate you so very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. God bless. Thank you. God bless. Well, there you have it. Uh, very informative tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, part two will kick off next Thursday of this discussion. Very special thanks to Mr. Snowden, uh, Mr. Roney, for giving their perspective, and to the AJC radio team and, and host here. Uh, this story continues as we continue to look for resolution in a troubling time in this nation. Until next time, America, have a good night. This is IJC Radio. Prosecutors say Officer Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, including 2 minutes and 53 seconds after Floyd had become unresponsive. This afternoon, the county prosecutor explained why the charges came today. We have the officer's body-worn camera. We have statements from some witnesses. We have a preliminary report from the medical examiner. According to the charging documents, police were responding to a call of Floyd using a counterfeit $20 bill. During the attempt to put a handcuffed Floyd into the police car, the defendant pulled Mr. Floyd out of the passenger side of the squad car, held him with a knee to the neck. At one point, another officer asked, should we roll him on his side? Chauvin replied, no, staying put where we got him. Prosecutors contend Mr. Floyd being restrained by the police, his underlying health conditions, and any potential intoxicants in his system likely contributed to his death. But the prosecutor says the preliminary autopsy does not support that Floyd died from strangulation. Benjamin Crump represents Floyd's family. They were very clear in their position that it should be first-degree murder charges and the other officers should be arrested too. The 3rd Precinct Police Building, where the four fired officers worked, was at the center of the anger. I can't breathe! I can't breathe! After police abandoned the building, protesters set it on fire. The city warned people to retreat in case it exploded. At dawn, National Guardsmen rolled in to clear the crowds. Leave this area immediately. State police are here. You can see them behind me holding down this block. But behind them are the firefighters doing the hard work right now. They are dousing the flames, trying to save the rest of these businesses from going up in smoke. The situation was so tense, a CNN reporter was arrested while reporting live. He was released shortly after. Thursday, we went to KB Bala's restaurant. Looters had broken windows and even tried to steal his safe while he was there. Today, he watched as his life savings and dreams literally went up in smoke. The time and energy that was put into it, that's words hurts a lot. That, that was the dream. Oh, definitely. And now, 
It's up in flames. Minnesota's governor says the state has seen 48 hours of anarchy. He hopes some of that pain will ease today. What the world has witnessed since the killing of George Floyd on Monday has been a visceral pain, a community trying to understand who we are and where we go from here.